So uh, I was trying to figure out what in the world to name this sermon, and uh, so I just sort of held my spirit of the Lord, Lord, what should I name this thing? I don't usually ask that detail of what I should name something, and I heard these words as clear as a bell, tested words for trying times. So we're going to talk about some tested words, and they're in the Word of God for trying times. I think the time we're in would qualify for a trying time. <laughs> and so uh, I want to read a few verses uh, from Hebrews and a couple other places, but mostly Hebrews. And uh, there's some very powerful verses in there that I think are really important for our day and uh, timely for our church. So I want to start with uh, Hebrews chapter 10, and uh, I want to just uh, read uh, starting with verse 19. And uh, so as we start reading verse 19, I just want the first thing I want to just talk about is as believers having confidence to enter into the very presence of God. Now, this, is, this is a big deal. We come in to this most holy place with God by the blood of Jesus, and it's absolutely possible to come into the presence of God, not kind of, not like, well, okay, you know, symbolically, but this is what the Bible offers. The Bible offers us, through what Jesus did for us on the cross in the Holy Spirit's ministry, an anointing that rests on us for us to really know God, to feel His supernatural presence. And, and I want to just say supernatural presence with a capital S. We don't always feel it like that, but that's what's available to us. And I would just say with a capital L also, which would be things like the love of God, the just the utter compassion of God, and we're aware of it. So we have confidence to enter into the very presence of God. So we see this in verses 19 to 25 of Hebrews chapter 10. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God. So through Jesus, our high priest, through the curtain of his body, that is his death and his brokenness, just like the curtain was split in two, to reveal the most holy place, we come in by his blood to this place of, of, of uh, presence, of awareness. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings. So this is a really key verse. Let's have confidence to draw close. We can do this. We can draw close through the full assurance that faith brings. And faith brings us there. So all we have to do is believe these words that actually I have access to God at all times. That I can enter into the very presence of God. I can talk to Him. He'll listen to me. We can see miracles happen. We can work with Him and all His agenda, which is numerous and varied in the earth and quite creative many times and so on. So with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for He who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. So we can grow close to God with the full assurance that faith brings. And uh, if you'll notice in that verse, those 22 and 23, having cleansed us from a guilty conscience, and then it uses the word unswervingly to the hope. So what happens when we draw close through the faith that God brings, through the faith that we operate in, because we know what Jesus has done for us, two things happen. We're not plagued by that guilt. And, you know, Guilt is a number one issue with regard to a lot of people. I mean, if you've known the Lord for a while, it may be lurking in the back corner somewhere, but I've found that for a lot of people, and even myself, that many times I don't come too boldly in and into the presence of God to ask for things and to do business with Him and to listen to His voice, because I just feel guilty. I just feel separated. I, I feel uh, away from Him. I feel not worthy or uh, not able to come in. But what Jesus did for us on the cross was He cleansed us from a guilty conscience. 
So that's apprehended by faith also. It's apprehended by faith also. We just plead the blood over our life. Lord, I come in. I'm going to have a talk with you now. I'm listening for your voice. Lord, I'm asking you for this, this, and this. Lord, I want to have fellowship with you. I want to feel your presence. And there's no guilt. There can't be any guilt because Jesus took care of that. That's why it's important. We get that. And we also get, it says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope, unswervingly to the hope we profess. So also what comes as a result of coming in the presence of God is this amazing hope that begins to uh, spring up inside of us, an unswerving hope. Whenever I feel the presence of God, uh, I feel unswerving hope. I, I feel on top, not the bottom. There are times when I've, I've felt a little dull or lonely or broken. Uh, but when I feel the presence of God, hope arises because I'm thinking, wow, he really is here. He's really listening. And this thing, all of this transaction that we're talking about now comes by faith. In other words, we just believe what the Word of God says about us. What the Word of God says is true about believers, and we press into that. Now, I don't know of a more uh, important time now than, than now to, for believers to press into the presence of God. There's just a lot of uh, murkiness out there. There's a lot of up and uh, back and forth and a lot of questions, and their hopes are up, and then they're down. And it's not a very uh, easy atmosphere to keep continuity in your walk with the Lord uh, unless you just pay attention and understand that, listen, first of all, I'm clear and clean. Second of all, I can have unswerving hope because God didn't leave me. He didn't forsake me. I have confidence. I can access the presence of God no matter where I'm at, no matter what I'm working, no matter what I'm doing. I can pause and move right in there uh, with Him. And that's the way He intended it, which I think is an amazing, glorious thing. When we draw close to one another, also something supernatural happens. So the Bible says here that we can come into the very presence of God. And one way is we just come directly through prayer, through worship, through other means, paying attention, believing, trusting. Uh, those things as we do the will of God. But we also come close to God as we draw close to one another. So we look at verse 25 or verse 24. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. So we as the body of Christ, that's why the Bible calls us the body of Christ. We're individually members of it, but we're supernaturally charged. And it's so important that we understand that many times uh, that person with skin on, who, skin on who's supernaturally charged with the Holy Spirit, with the very presence of God, can spur us on toward love and good deeds, the things that we know we want to experience from God and the deeds that we want to experience and, and uh, work with God on, right? It's so important. And so the body of Christ is really, really important for that. It's a, a, a necessary part. We get supernatural uh, dynamism, so to speak, directly from God, but we also get it from a great relationships and from great relationships in the body of Christ. And God will provide those. And so it's important that we draw close not only to God, but we also come into the presence of God through the body of Christ. And so the Bible says when we gather together, or two or three gather together, two or more, there I am, he says. Which is a really dramatic thing if you think about it. The very presence of God comes when two or three gather together in Jesus' name. The question is whether we're going to believe it and take advantage of that or not. And so we also encourage one another. So we spur one another toward love and good deeds. But also we see in this verse, verse 25, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. So part of our encouragement as believers comes from other believers who are supernaturally able to uh, just minister to us. And you know, sometimes it doesn't take any super uh, duper thing that we do for one another. Just being around one another is very, very powerful. That's why he says... Uh, don't give up meeting together. It's a command. Don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. You see, when we stop doing that, we get discouraged. 
because I've noticed this a lot, uh, you know, as I've seen old friends in common, we've been able to get together more and more. We've, we've determined that no matter what, we were going to meet together in some form or another. We've been doing it in various forms as the rules have changed and everything. And uh, it's, it's been great. And for the most part, we've been able to meet in larger meetings and smaller meetings. But I've noticed as I see people uh, uh, that I haven't seen in a while, when they just come in the room, it's amazing how encouraged I get because our relationship just comes right back and they do the thing that they've been doing in my life for a long time and I'm doing it there is just encourage one another, pray for one another. They know that I'm for them and, and so on and so forth. And uh, So talk about essential businesses. There's a lot of talk about this. Uh, but in this season, I can't think of a more essential business than the business of the church. We know right now, it's a well-established fact, that there's a higher rate of suicide than in many, many years. There's all kinds of, of uh, damage happening between relationships, divorces, and all kinds of messy things. And some of it has to do with the lack of encouragement from other people who are believers to help, keep, help us keep going. It's one of the ways that we come into the presence of God is that others in our life are helping us. And let me just... I just can't underestimate this enough, uh, or I used to say, you shouldn't underestimate this. And I can't overestimate the value of what I'm saying right now. And this is why it's so essential that we don't give up meeting together. And I know there are going to be reasons why we can't, and you may have COVID, or you may be at risk, or so on and so forth. But could I just suggest to you that, uh, and I've been, been watching this, uh, we need each other so we can experience the presence of God. That's, we're called the body of Christ. What does that mean? Why would he call us the body of Christ? I mean, he could have called us all kinds of things. He does call us the church. We're the bride. But the body of Christ, you know, we minister to one another. Then there's this picture of how we help one another. And the ankle doesn't do what the wrist does. And the heart doesn't do what the lungs do. And so on and so forth. So the presence of God, as believers, we have confidence to enter into the presence of God. It comes by our direct uh, prayer and accessing God with the courage God gives us and the faith God gives us. And then it also comes from one another. And so this is a tested word. It's been like that from beginning. If you think about it, uh, since the church began, ever since, what's the first thing they began to do? They began to meet together from house to house. And then they met corporately in uh, Solomon's temple. All through history, from the very beginning, in every tribe, tongue, and nation, there's always meeting together. There's always this issue. And in the greatest, severest persecutions, it's hard to meet together. But why would the devil hate that so much? It's because there's power, because the very presence of God comes. And when he comes and two or three together are praying, they can bind and loose and do a lot of damage to darkness. We need to realize that. These are tested words for trying times. This is the way it's always been. It's the way on every continent, tribe, tongue, and nation. It's always been true historically in various forms and fashions. The church has always gathered together. And the issue is the very presence of God in our midst. We've suffered in the past, and we will suffer again. And so I know there's been a lot of suffering in our church, and uh, I know a lot of people out there, and uh, some of us have lost loved ones in this time. Uh, uh, we're not aware of as many with COVID or even COVID-related issues dying, but there's been cancer and other severe things that have happened. And uh, we've had a, a few memorial services like that during this time, and there's just all kinds of things. People are redoing their jobs. They're trying to how to make a living. They're trying to figure out how to educate their kids and so on and so forth. And I just say uh, we're just in a place of suffering. The good news about suffering is it has this way of purifying a little bit, has us uh, really reevaluate what, what's, what's uh, important. But the other thing it does that I've, I've noticed is it softens us up to hear things from God if it works properly, if we permit suffering to work that way. It could also harden us. 
But the one thing we can't do when we suffer is throw away our confidence because God says it will be richly rewarded, especially in times of difficulty. I like that. Don't throw away your confidence. So I'm going to read verses uh, 35 to 39 of Hebrews 10. So don't throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. Now he says that right after he says, you know what? Some of you were thrown in prison. Some of you had your property confiscated. But you have better possessions, he says. So don't throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. And so largely the letters that were written from Paul and from the other writers uh, uh, were written uh, to encourage people because they were living in a very oppressive system and the, the little church was just beginning to uh, emerge in various cities and places and there was lots of persecution. And I love this advice of Hebrews. Don't throw away your confidence. It'll be rich, richly rewarded. And I already mentioned this, but I think there's a throwaway kind and there's just an ignoring your confidence. So I'm trying to say don't throw away your confidence either by ignoring it or by directly saying I've had it. I'm just leaving this whole thing. I don't know where God is. I just, just you know, because actually it's dumb to do that because there's a scripture. It will be richly rewarded, but especially in times of suffering and difficulty. So the next verse, you need to persevere so that you, when you've done the will of God, you'll receive what he has promised. For in just a little while he was coming, will come and will not delay. And my righteous one will live by faith. And I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. I love those verses so much. So we need to persevere so we'll receive what God has promised. That's verse 36. But there's this little phrase. I really like this. We can learn what God means by in just a little while through repeated practice. So what I mean by that is a lot like fishing. So I would imagine there's many people listening right now that are sort of fishing for a miracle. You're putting your line out. You're hoping God will answer that significant prayer that you have. But the Bible puts this little caption on it. In just a little while, we will receive what we are believing for, but we live by faith in the meantime. This is really critical because it's the time thing that often does us sin. But I like that, in a little while. For us, if it's suffering enough or painful enough, it just seems like it's going to be forever. But after many years of doing this and uh, asking for things, believing for things, been in trouble this way and that way, whether it's financial or sickness or whatever, I've noticed in my own life and other people's life that actually over time you get a sense of what just a little while means through repeated practice. We receive, we receive what we're believing for, but, but we live by faith in the meantime, and that faith often has a little bit of time on it, Right? And I've just known this is a, uh, a matter of uh, when I get in a place where I really need something and I need to receive something uh, and I'm at a trying time, I just assume that uh, that little uh, thing that I need uh, is going to have a timeline on it. So when I was younger, and, uh, and still occasionally today, I was very impatient and I would just really be impatient with that timeline. It just seemed like uh, a little time of suffering, a little time of doing without was forever. But over time... Uh, through countless times of praying for things and seeing God do provision, I've gotten much more patient. And I also learned another little trick that really has helped me. I watch people. I'm a people watcher. I watch my prayers when I pray over them, and I watch when it gets answered. And so I have inside of me a whole tray or catalog, you could say, of answered prayer. That helps me for the little while, just a little while. Sometimes it doesn't seem like a little while, but I've learned to make most of my whiles a lot more little. <laughs> a lot more distant. 
And that comes through experience. And you learn the texture of God. I know that sounds funny, the texture of a little while. But over time, you become like a master fisherman for miracles, for God's intervention in your life. The thing is, let's just pretend like you're a fisherman in that boat, right? And you're fishing for this miracle. And you've got your line out there. Well, the one thing you can't do is you can't just throw, uh, walk away from your line. So the whole thing of fishing, you just got to stay there until you get the answer. So some people just give up on their line, throw the pole maybe in the water, dry, you know, drive off in their boat, say, well, it's a bad day. But they don't wait. But this is interesting. This is a promise from God. In just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. Your little while and God's little while might not exactly match up. I'm just telling you over time, they begin to match up more and more. Because you begin to watch the signs and begin to see. You begin to think of your prayer requests. Um, they're kind of like... Um, growing stuff. You begin to see things grow, you know, and you, you know, and as, as something's growing out of the ground. Oh, there it is. There's a little bit. Oh, I see that. Oh, yeah, there's a branch. Oh, yeah, here it comes. So that's why he says he who's coming will come and will not delay. In other words, he will come in response to what you need. But the one thing you can't do is throw your fishing pole in the water. One thing you can't do is throw away your confidence because your confidence, and I like this, won't be just kind of rewarded. It will be richly rewarded. The reason why it will be richly rewarded is not only we get the answer for that thing, but also when you get a whole bunch of answers, you're sort of hard to defeat because you've got a whole history with God. And that whole history of God is part of your rich reward. I've got lots of richer rewards in my life of answered prayer. So when I come to an obstacle, I'm going, okay, all right, well, I remember such and such time and such and such a time. I take that experience, Lord. I just declare your answer that you answered me then or such and such an answer that I saw God the same, very same thing I need over there and I declare it in my own life. And I, that's one of my favorite things to do because when you're around people and praying with them a lot and you see them getting answers, uh, you, it's so powerful. It actually helps you in your own fishing expedition for whatever miracle you're looking for because you're seeing answers to prayers. Frequently there's answers to prayer for the very thing that you need. You know, maybe, maybe you would like, uh, you know, a new job. And then your, your friend over there gets a new job. You go, oh, man. Well, instead of letting that be depression, you say, oh, well, he got a job. Okay, well, I'm going to stay with my fishing pole because I'm going to wait. I'm going to, uh, God's going to give me what I'm asking. He who's coming, he who's coming will come and will not delay. Why would he do that? Well, we're going to find this out a little bit more later, but partly because God loves you so much. He loved you so much that He gave His life for you. If He gave His life for you, how will He not give you these other little things, right? And uh, things that are big to you, maybe, but He will do that. He will not delay. He will not let anything undone that is good for you, right? All right. So look at uh, Roman numeral 2 if you have an outline there. So there is no good, I say in this point C there, that comes from shrinking back in times of trouble. Believe me, I've done it. And I tell you what, even in this time that we're at with COVID-19, I have tried with regard to our church to stay as aggressive as we possibly can. And we're about to get even more aggressive because I have found that there's no good comes from shrinking back. I just can't imagine shrinking back, shrinking back and just putting church on hold. How do you put church on hold? How do you put your spiritual life on hold? How do you put these things on hold? You can't. And you got to be careful that in the process and of your prudence that you're not shrinking back in times of trouble. God takes pleasure in us when we believe and persevere. We're the ones who live by faith and are saved. My righteous one will live by faith. That's a very dangerous word there, but that's the truth. If you want to be righteous before God, you live by faith. That means you don't have it all together. That means you don't have all the answers you need, but you live by faith. God will take every righteous person, 
no matter who they are and how great they are, and they will all live by faith from the beginning of their life and their walk with God to the end. We see that in Hebrews 11 especially. But my righteous one will live by faith, and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. Every time I've shrunk back in my life, it was not good. <laughs> Shrinking back does not pay dividends. Shrinking back pays especially bad dividends. Now, there's some times where God reroutes us, but there's a difference between giving up and being rerouted to your miracle. And so that's a fine, seems like maybe a, a fine thing to say, but it's, there's a texture to it. There's a feeling to it. And so when I'm talking with people, I just want to know if they've given up or not. That's a really big issue, because if they've given up, I know that we have a lot more work to do with regard to their life. We are part of an ancient community of faith, living in the same faith that our forefathers walked in, whether it was the Old Testament or the New Testament. We see, again, in Hebrews chapter 11 here, now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. That's all this whole list in Hebrews chapter 11 that uh, unfolds in this chapter. All these famous people like Enoch and Noah and Abraham and, and so on. By faith, we do the things God does. Here's the interesting thing. Visible things that we need come from our invisible faith in God. Isn't it weird? The visible comes from the invisible. Verse 3, By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. So God, in the invisible world, by His own faith and His own might, was able to create things, just by speaking into existence. Well, that's God. What about me? Well, Jesus, on the earth, did you notice how He challenged His disciples to command the visible from the invisible? And I'm telling you, there's more than once that they freaked out about it, and will freak about it, out about it too. So you, all this people, the thousands of people out there, you know, and Jesus is looking at the crowd, and they don't have any money, and they don't have any bread for the people, and they're thinking, wow, this is going to be a disaster. These people are going to faint on the way home. What do we do? And Jesus looked at them and said, you give them something to eat. The invisible became visible. But when did it become visible? Well, a little guy, who knows, I don't know who it was exactly, you know, had the loaves and fishes, just a few. Matter of fact, in this particular uh, passage in Mark 6, there were 5,000 men, which means there are probably women and children as well. And the miracle happened from five loaves of bread and two fish. How do you like those odds, right? Our forefathers, Jesus challenged them, and they didn't exactly succeed. They thought, what in the world? And I can imagine when the look on their faces are doing this, you know, okay, we're giving bread away to... 5,000 men. Okay, I got five loaves of bread. Here's a little piece for you, a little piece for you. But as they're doing it, you know the rest of the story. The visible came out of the invisible. Just by their act of giving that faith, they began being participants. You see, by faith, we do the things God does. So visible things come from our invisible faith in God. And that's really a little bit uncomfortable. But Jesus took it to the health. I want to be just like Jesus. I wish I was one of Jesus' disciples. Would you like to be that? He, they, he took them on quite a ride, not the least of which is his death on a cross. Wow, talk about a ride. And then he resurrects from the dead. Wow, agony of defeat, the height of victory. Oh, my goodness, nothing says it better than the resurrection. But there was this other story, and it just reminds me of taking things from the invisible world, which we call faith. And sometimes your voice is on the end of that faith. Sometimes we speak. Sometimes it's an action that releases. Many times it's something tangible releases the invisible uh, power of God. So they're out there on the lake. We can read this in Mark 4. There's 37 to 40. And many of you know this story. And 
Jesus is asleep in the boat for heaven's sake, and the boat is just rocking, you know. I tell you, sometimes we wonder, you know, maybe you've wondered, is Jesus asleep at the wheel or asleep in the back of the boat somewhere? Why in the world has this COVID thing been permitted to go on? Doesn't he know about this? Doesn't he listening to our prayers? And, and there's probably all kinds of side prayers as a result of all of that and grumpiness and everything from the politics of our time to whatever, you know. But look what he says to them. They wake him up. And the, 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 the whole atmosphere is raging. They're about to drown. And he says to them, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And then he stands up and he commands the storm to be still. Now you get the impression that actually that's what he wanted them to do. Just say, be still in the name of Jesus. Wow. He's, they're in training. These weren't just stories for us to look at and go, oh, wow, that was a really cool story. We put them up on a little flannel graph thing for Sunday school and all that, you know. And, and it was a nice story. Because there's lots of really interesting, strange stories in the Bible, right? But it's so important to understand that these stories are for us. We are those disciples. We are those disciples. We walk in the same faith that the very first church and the early church and all of our fathers before them in the Old Testament. Without this lifestyle of faith, it's impossible to please God. That's why we keep finding ourselves in challenging situations. Look at 11.6. And without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. <laughs> so if it's impossible to please God, this is one reason why we get in so much trouble. Because He's wanting us to exercise. He wants us to be like Him. He wants us to learn to call the visible, out, to take the invisible and call the visible out. He wants to be like, he, you see that all in his training for those disciples. Oh, well, that was the disciples' training. No, that's every disciples' training. That's every disciples' training. And could I just suggest to you, without faith it's impossible to please God. One, that's probably one of the reasons why we find ourselves in difficult situations, why it's not a picnic to live in this life, because he's looking for that little category called faith. And in that faith, it's not just static faith, it's relational stuff. We learn how to be like Him. We learn how to see the world like He sees it. And then we become useful for people that are broken, people that are needy, people that are being attacked by Satan. We become useful and very powerful when we understand our situation. That's why we find ourselves in challenging situations. We'll find that for the whole life. We're going to find that. We've suffered in the past. I said earlier, we're going to suffer again. The question is how we suffer, how we navigate this world, how we navigate a storm, as I just said in, in this story. Abraham is called the father of all who believe. We can read that in uh, uh, Romans chapter 4, verse 16. Yea, Abraham, the father of all who believe. I believe that. He's the father. He was an amazing person. The question comes when we take the faith of Abraham and then the Bible turns it on us and says, uh, I want you to be just like Abraham. And that gets a little dicey, especially when we're like uh, putting our son uh, under the knife for a sacrifice and other things like that. It becomes pretty real, very powerful. Of course, God delivered his son. But let's just read these verses from uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when, he, when called to go to a place he would later receive his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Okay, I don't think I ever like to be in a place where I don't know where I'm going. I've been lost in numerous countries before, and it freaks me out every time, especially if it's in the middle of the night, looking for little signposts and things, and maps aren't clear. You know, I do not like to know, and plus I just don't want to waste the time, you know. I want to know where I am going, right? So 
God's calling Abraham to this place. Hey, Abraham, come to this land. He, never been, he didn't even know where he's going. He hears God's voice, and there he goes. This is actual normal walk with God. By faith, he made his home in the promised land, which is we have gush about so much. And we, Oh, what a wonderful thing. And I like to visit Israel and everything. But it was a very, very difficult place to go. First of all, strangers traveling in different lands. This is not a good idea, especially if you're alone. And you got a pretty wife, too, right? experience that servants man he could have easily been wiped out any moment nobody would have thought because they did not treat strangers very nicely especially from a long way away but by faith he made his home in the promised land he left his whole family all his inheritance all his wealth and he comes like a stranger in a foreign country he lived in tents as did isaac and jacob were who were heirs with him of the same promise this whole whole story of the Old Testament is about people taking chances. It's, it's about believing. It's about this nation Israel that's beginning to emerge. And one step after another, every generation be, being challenged with, 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 with faith to move into new situations. And this is our forefathers. And we're a part of that ancient community, community. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him Faithful who made the promise. Can I just say, childbearing age may not be an issue for you, but what is your issue? It's never too late. I don't care what the issue is. It's impossible, supposedly, to bear a baby at her age. Gus, how old was she? Very old, very aged. This is not just a little old. She was really old. I think she was 90 years old, something like that, when she had Isaac. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think that some of there, but it wasn't like 50 or 40. It was way up there. <clears throat> but she, this is Abraham's wife, considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, <laughs> here's gets a little idea, and he as good as dead, <laughs> and his wife as well. well. That's not a very nice thing to say, but anyway, especially I get older, I don't want to be talked about like that. But anyway, the Bible just being honest, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. And the effect of what Abraham did in faith is still felt today in the nation of Israel, still a major world player, and actually in the redemptive plan of God, becoming more a world player by every day that passes, prophetically causing something to happen in the world that has to do with the end of time with regard to this man's faith and the resultant nation that came. And so if we look at uh, verse uh, 17. By faith Abraham went, uh, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. Now the only son that he has is going to test him. He's going to sacrifice. Tells him, go kill that son. He would embrace the promises about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God has said to him, it's through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God would even raise the dead, and so in a manner of speaking, he did, he did receive Isaac back from death. Tested words for trying times. This whole thing that happened with these characters, this is not easy. This is painful. This is not easy. Talk about suffering. Talk about confusion, talk about faith, talking about the visible coming out of the invisible. Oh my goodness, just read your Bible. The Bible is one of the scariest things to read in the whole world because it not only says these stories, but says, you know, you should just be like Abraham. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I want to be like Abraham. Whoa. Wow. That's kind of weird. Sacrificing your own son. Wow. That's why he's called the father of all who believe because he, Abraham reasoned that even if he brought his knife down on this kid, that God's promises were so secure that God could even raise this, this child from the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the death. 
which is actually prefiguring Jesus, right? God's only son and what happened. Abraham is still is called the father of all who believe. What an amazing title. What an amazing dad. What an amazing ancestor we have. But I want to look again, um, verse 17. By faith, Abraham and God tested him. Now the question is, does God still test believers today? God tested Abraham. He's the father of all who believe. That means you're going to get tested. Wow. This is part of it, right? We're going to get tested. We're being tested right now. The entire church of Jesus Christ is being tested right now. And the defining thing for all of us, are we going to express faith? Are we going to call miracles down on our culture and our lives? Are we just going to just sort of tie ourselves to something and hope we survive the horrible storm, tie a rope to a tree and hang on? This is not what God wants. If he shrinks back, I will have no pleasure in him. God wants to have pleasure. This is like, this isn't time to delay. This is prime time. This is prime time for the church. This isn't we all go and hibernate for a while and then we come back when the water is good, you know, when the, when the COVID, nasty COVID virus is gone. No, this is not that time. It's never that time. This is a different time. This is a time we're being tested as believers all around the world. And we're going to pass that test. And we're going to do it when we do it. And we are all over the world. We're going to become stronger and stronger and stronger. And I just believe that that's what we get. We don't get less out of this virus situation, out of the political situation. Believers and the Church of Jesus Christ gets more. Jesus didn't just come to save us. He came to take over and to use us in the process. So we live as children of the Most High God. What an exalted uh, title. Our troubles all have meaning and can be used for our good. I want you to read with me Hebrews chapter 12, verses 7 and 11. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters. So this trouble that we have somehow cuts us back. It, it causes us to have discipline. It, it, it somehow uh, has a good result for our soul and our relationship with God, just like it will with ordinary children. Children need to be disciplined. They don't understand. We don't understand the spiritual world and what our Father God's doing. He wants to train us. He wants to make us like Him. He wants us to make us like Jesus. He wants to make us like our ancestors, right? So there's discipline. Discipline doesn't feel good all the time, right? Sometimes it's painful. Then you're not legitimate, not true sons and daughters. In other words, if you don't go through trouble, you're not legitimate because God passes everyone through trouble to make them grow so they'll learn who God really is and about His power and His authority and His love. And they learn. It's revelation time. He wants you to know Him, but you can't know Him in a pristine world where everything always goes right. You learn because of a fallen world. You learn how great and godly and wonderful God is through the trouble. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respect them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while. There's that word again, little while. As they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good. How could anything good come out of the COVID virus? Well, we're about to find out. How could anything good come about our political crazy situation? We're going to find out. But God disciplines us for our good. For our good. Many things that happen in this world happen with the church right in the middle of it. We're not a side issue. We never have been. 
Our prayers shake the earth. What we do, how we respond, shapes the whole world. That's why the world really needs to pay attention to us sometimes. But if they don't, it doesn't matter. We have our own order. We go to the top. We go right over every political entity, and we go right to the top. But God disciplines us for our good, in order that we may share in His holiness. Though discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. In other words, when we get under pressure, we, we learn something about God. We learn about God's consistency. We learn something about how God is faithful. And over time, over time, the more we experience that, the more we have peace. So if things go wrong, we're still at peace. If things go on white, we're at peace. And we get righteousness in it. We, and righteousness in this context means that we make the right response at the right time. We respond properly how we should. We learn this through many repetitions of discipline, painful circumstances, where we grow and grow and grow, and we learn how to be righteous in that circumstance. We learn what righteousness, we learn what it is to represent God in those circumstances, and we learn to have peace. We learn to walk with peace. So we become undefeatable. So I'm trying to learn this more and more with my own life, trying to learn how to walk in peace, even though everything's upside down. And you know what? I've got to just say something. Honestly, this COVID virus has been tremendous for me. Uh, in terms of a leader and, and learning about God and trusting God. It really has, because things have been so uh, up and down, up and down all around. But in the chaos, I began to feel a sense of rhythm and God's consistency and, and hearing more clearly what to do and, and what not to do. It's almost as if all of us right now are in, here, are, are in training. And one of the greatest things that we're in training about is actually uh, hearing God's voice. So our troubles help us with the next things that are going to be coming along, and they help us now. And they all have meaning. I love Romans 8, 28. Uh, it says at the very, very best of all the passage I could think on this subject. And we know that in all things, how many things would that be? All things. Now, and Paul, who's writing this, isn't just saying this from an ivory tower, all, you know. He, this guy, he was found himself in jail all the time. He'd been beaten and uh, for the gospel and was suffering many, many years and months of his life. He spent an, a great affliction and great trial. And he writes this, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Wow. So there's good. We know that in all things God works for the good. So we have someone working for our good. Our troubles all have meaning. And they can be used and will be used for our good. As believers, we're not enslaved to a mountain of fear but have come to a mountain of joy called Mount Zion, the sitting of the living God. I love these verses so much. Look at uh, uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 to 24. You have, come, you have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire. Now he's referring to Mount Sinai and how the first covenant church came into being. To darkness, gloom, and storm. And, th- and that's how they were initiated into God. To a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them. In other words, there was the fear of God. They were getting their introduction to the God of the universe because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. Even Moses was trembling. But now, compared to that to who we are now because of Jesus at the center of it, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God. That's us, the New Testament church the heavenly Jerusalem. You've come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. In other words, everybody's happy in heaven. When they first got a glimpse of God, it looked like he was pretty upset. But the truth is, everybody's happy in heaven, especially now that Jesus has done what he did and 
and purchased from every tribe, tongue, and nation, men and women. And the, ca- and the cause of Christ is growing by the day, and the cause of the end times is growing, and God is going to sum things up. But basically, heaven's never in a bad mood. <laughs> We've come to the heavenly Jerusalem. We've come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. Can you imagine? Just picture that. This is what God's like. This is what heaven's about. This is what the atmosphere of heaven's like. Thousands upon thousands of angels singing with joy. Can you imagine? If heaven's anything, it's joy. To the church of the firstborns whose names are written in heaven. That's where we're going to go. That's where we belong. And we can get a little taste of it, taste of it now. You've come to God, the judge of all. To the spirit, uh, spirits of the righteous made perfect. I love that word so much. The righteous made perfect. We might even be good in our behavior, but God's cross, the blood of Jesus, makes us perfect. Not just sort of righteous, but perfect in every way. That's why we have such a wonderful relationship with Him. That's why we can expect these things. We have tested words for trying times because we're in a position on this side of the resurrection to know Jesus in such a unique way. We understand the revelation. He's a merciful God, not just a Um, a powerful God, but a merciful God, so merciful that He would shed blood for us. To Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, which is His sprinkled blood. That speaks of a a better word than the blood of Abel. Wow. The spirit of joy marks us as believers. Jesus brings us this joy. In fact, look what it says in the Scripture, Hebrews 12, 2. For the joy set before Him, He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. In anticipation of you and I who know Him. He saw us from all those centuries back. He saw what was going to happen. And for that joy, He went to the cross. He was willing to suffer. He was willing to do it all because of the joy. Now, if there's that much joy in what God did with regard to His suffering, surely there's joy in our own walk with God. Surely there's joy, more joy to be found, even in the difficult spaces. Jesus endured the cross, and the shame was nothing to Him compared to the joy that was before him at the thought of you and I receiving him as our Lord and uh, Savior and joining the the throng, the millions upon millions of angels and, and, and near the throne of God. What an amazing picture. We rejoice with thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. I I love that scripture so much. Thousands and thousands of angels. But you've come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You've come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful singing. What a different picture than it was when they first met God in Mount Sinai and the thunder and the warning and the whole thing. But now there's just amazing joy. God has joy even in the midst of our suffering. If there's one thing that's true, there's joy. We receive acceptance by the judge of all who makes the righteous perfect by his own blood. I love that so much. Whose names are written in heaven, you have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirit of the righteous made perfect. We're not just kind of perfect, we're not just kind of accepted by God, but we're completely accepted by God, even in a world falling apart. We are different. We're like lights shining. We're like stars. We shine in the universe. And God especially has loved us because we are blood bought by the blood of his son. We're talking about love. I like. I want to just... Uh, go back to this verse 23 for a moment as I wind things down here for a minute. Um, you have come to God, righteous made perfect. Uh, I want to just use this word, think about this word uh, acceptance for a moment, all right? Word acceptance. We, we receive acceptance by the judge of all who makes the righteous perfect by his own blood. So we're accepted, but when we say words like we're accepted, what we're really trying to say is, 
It would be like the birth of a new baby in the world. There's nothing more beautiful than the birth of a new baby. That baby is so loved when it comes in the world. Everybody wants to kiss it and hug it and so on and so forth. So when I say the judge of all who makes the righteous perfect by his own blood, but I just want to make sure that I don't leave out love in this. It's not that God is doing all these legal things and, and, and is detached from the process. No. He loves you so much that He did all that thing, but He continues to love you. In other words, He's always embracing. You're like the little baby. <laughs> he never loses His acceptance. That's why even with Jesus on the cross, uh, Jesus says He walked around on earth. I, one of my favorite passages is, For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all He does. That's what He wants to do with us. For the Father loves us and He shows Him what He's doing. For those that can accept it, He, he wants to show you what He's doing. For the Father loves the Son. It's a very powerful word. If, Paul was so enamored in Ephesians 3.18 with the love of God. He says, you know, I'm praying that somehow or another all of you would get what I've got going in my spirit. I want you to know how high and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. To know this love that passes all understanding. So we need, we've been, the righteous made perfect, are not just perfect legally, but they're perfect in the sense of they're very cute kids. They're very loved by God. God loves them. God wants them. God is excited about us. It's emotional. It's beautiful. And this is how Jesus did all his works and did all his best stuff. And this is how we do it. When we know this love, we are, know this acceptance by God, we know who we are, then what happens is we begin to release the same love uh, for other people. When we know this acceptance by the judge of all who makes the righteous perfect by his own blood, it's an emotional experience. It's not just a legal experience. It's not just something that we grit our teeth and hold through, you know, hold on, you know, oh man, you know, I just got to hold on and suffer through this and I'll get to the other side. No, I'm just saying I think there's a superior experience that in our trials, in our troubles, we should be able to taste the love of God and feel the love of God because this whole thing is about love. So we don't want to just endure to the next trial. I think the real adventure is experiencing God in the midst of the trial and when the next one comes, finding the love in it because he's not that far away. That's what these verses tell us. Tested words for trying times. Tested words for the ancients and all of our fathers, all of our mothers who lived in these places, in these situations, the ancient community of faith. It's the same for us today coronavirus or no coronavirus or whatever else comes our way. Amen. I want to just pray for a minute as we leave here today. God, I want to ask you that you would bring such an awareness of us as children of the Most High God, such an awareness of the overarching, amazing presence of God in our circumstances and how actually beautiful we really are. Lord, I pray you would encourage us. I pray you would strengthen us. I pray, God, we could feel your love on us. I pray, Lord, you would help us to stretch out in faith and not throw away our confidence, but believe that it will be richly rewarded. Help us with our perseverance. Help us not to shrink back in times of trouble. Help us live with the same faith our forefathers walked in. Help us to live as children of the Most High God in every way, Lord. God bless you all. Amen. Stay.